Chapter 5. Sequence. How do disciples grow? One of the most important things you can do is start raising the bar for your people. That sounds counterintuitive. We inherently think we need to put the cookies on the lowest shelf if people who are not yet mature disciples are going to have access. But the opposite is true. Disciples will never rise to an expectation the church does not set. Knowing how to raise the bar, whom to raise the bar for, and when to raise the bar are essential elements of deep discipleship in the local church. The third question of deep discipleship in the local church, then, relates to sequence. How do disciples grow? How can the local church help holistic disciples take the next step in their spiritual growth and maturity? We have already looked at where disciples are formed, space, and advocated for the importance of dedicated and active learning environments in the local church. We also discussed what they need, scope, and encouraged the local church to make the important decision of training towards specific discipleship traits. Now it is time to give some attention to how deep disciples grow. Sequence Usually churches are more accustomed to asking the question, how do we maintain disciples in the local church? Instead, we should ask the better question, how do we grow disciples in the local church? Sequence is all about creating progressively challenging discipleship spaces in the local church. These discipleship spaces function as a discipleship pipeline that encourages participants to take the next step of their development. As you think about a sequence of discipleship in the local church, you're developing and implementing different stages of training that are appropriate to different maturity levels. The reason sequence matters is that it is important for the local church to guide believers into the deeper waters of the inexhaustible riches in God. The sequence of deep discipleship is motivated by the bottomless riches that are in Christ. Disciples take next steps not to graduate from a process, but to enjoy more of God. In the local church, we want our disciples to keep growing deeper into God, because He alone is bottomless. You do not want maturing believers to have to stay in shallow waters when they are ready to go deeper, and you do not want to overwhelm baby believers in deeper waters when they need to slowly wade into deep discipleship. So, how can the local church guide believers into greater maturity, into increasingly deep discipleship over time? Before we start talking about ways for the local church to help disciples grow, it is essential to remember that, biblically speaking, the Holy Spirit alone sanctifies and matures disciples. Salvation, from beginning to end, is the work of God. Sanctification cannot be sequenced by a program or a discipleship process. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul reminds them about their salvation by arguing, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 Paul's Trinitarian picture of salvation is stunning and is meant to remind the Corinthians, and us, that God saves from beginning to end. Christians are washed by God, sanctified by God, and justified by God. Salvation is the work of the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, from first to last. 
It is good news that sanctification in the Christian life comes entirely through the empowering presence and ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2 argues that salvation is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The Father initiates salvation. The Son accomplishes salvation. The Spirit applies salvation so that we may walk in obedience. In the Christian life, there is no replacement for reliance on the triune God. There is no path for deep discipleship other than living the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only He can make us whole again and conform us to the image of the Son. If not for the work of the Holy Spirit, all of our best ministry plans would be laid to nothing. Yet another thread must be highlighted when it comes to the responsibility of the believer and the local church to grow in Christ. A constant theme in the New Testament is the call for disciples and for the local church to be active in their own spiritual growth. Paul called the Roman Christians to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. The Christian life is one of increasing in maturity, as Paul encourages the Corinthians to not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 20. Paul also tells the Philippian church that disciples are all straining toward the goal of Christ. He desired that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Philippians chapter 3 verses 11 through 16. The New Testament gives us the paradoxical picture that the Christian life is entirely of grace, but that we are also called to grow in that grace. In other words, grace is not opposed to growth. Rather, grace creates growth. Those who have received the grace of Christ also want to grow in Christ. What is clear theologically is that God saves from beginning to end. Formation is entirely the work of the grace of God. God's persevering grace is not weaker than His justifying grace. God's sanctifying work is not separated from His regenerating work. The gospel is not achieved by us. It is received by us. The gospel is not attained by merit. It is received by mercy. But at the same time, Christians are called to strain forward, press on, and pursue maturity. Disciples train themselves for godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. The reception of the gospel creates a desire in disciples to grow in the gospel. 
No amount of ministry effort and no amount of ministry excellence can bring about sanctification in the life of a believer. That is the responsibility of God and God alone. Do not overestimate the ability of your ministry strategy to grow people into the likeness of Christ. Yet the local church is also called to be a place that calls people to press on toward maturity, to take next steps in spiritual development, and to grow into Christ as whole disciples. A sequence of discipleship does not pretend to do the work of the Holy Spirit, but a sequence of discipleship also assumes that the Holy Spirit can use these spaces to grow mature disciples. The gospel includes both justification and sanctification. That means our philosophy of ministry needs to be equally fueled by opportunities to respond to the gospel for the first time, for salvation, and for opportunities to go deeper and deeper into the gospel, for growth. We need to constantly remind people that the entirety of the Christian life is of grace, while at the same time calling them to grow in Christ. Dallas Willard helpfully points out, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. This is so important for developing a holistic philosophy of ministry. A ministry philosophy that thinks effort is opposed to grace can never grow holistic disciples. In other words, just because sanctification is a work of the Spirit, that does not mean the church should not develop an intentional sequence of discipleship that the Holy Spirit may use to bring about increasing maturity among God's people. God uses His church to grow people which means we should think strategically about how a discipleship sequence can help believers in the church grow into maturity. If the local church is not calling people to press forward, to grow, to strain ahead, we will lose them. One of the paradigm shifts we need in ministry is the shift from asking the question, how do we keep disciples in the church, to the better question, how do disciples grow in the church? When we focus on keeping them, they remain immature at best and leave at worst. When we focus on growing them, they mature. The first question shows that we are content to maintain disciples. The second question shows that we won't be content until we are making mature disciples. Don't Stunt Discipleship Growth Sequence is ultimately the question of how we grow people by giving them increasingly challenging steps, information, or commitment. Sequence is intentional stages of training for your people, based on their growth and maturity. Your people should always know what next step, challenge, or opportunity is available to them. For example, we have already shown how the public school system has developed a scope. Things like math, science, recreation, and social studies. These are the subjects they believe are important for developing responsible citizens. They have also developed a sequence of how to deliver that material over time in order to develop a growing student. Take math, for example. Students start by learning how to count, then how to add and subtract, then how to multiply and divide, then how to do fractions, then geometry, then algebra, then trigonometry. This is an ongoing sequence of classes that calls them to mature as mathematicians. If the students were forced to start with algebra, 
They would never learn because they have not developed the basic mathematical competencies of addition and subtraction. If the students were left doing addition and subtraction, never pressing on to division and multiplication, they would never grow into students who can do geometry. The sequence of learning helps them take intentional next steps that are appropriate for their level of learning and maturity. When a student moves from addition and subtraction to multiplication and division, there is a sense of straining and pressing forward that is designed to help them grow. They are being asked to take the next step to do something they do not know how to do, but it is not so large of a step that they will be unable to do it. This principle is also true in fitness. One of my friends recently did a Couch to 5K program that was designed to help her progressively adapt from not being able to run more than 400 meters without stopping to eventually running a 5K. If she started with a 5K, she likely would have given up in frustration. But if she just stayed on the couch, she never would have been able to do a 5K. Athletes who keep doing the same workout over and over will eventually plateau because their body is no longer being challenged. What they need is not more of the same, but more repetitions, more weight, new exercises, etc. This is called adaptation. The body changes and grows based on new challenges and weight load. This is a small picture of what sequence can look like in the local church. It is not enough to have learning spaces for discipleship in the local church. You also need to have active learning spaces that sequence discipleship outcomes for increasing maturity levels. One of the reasons traditional models of Christian education have underperformed is that they failed to think strategically about how disciples grow. Most education-based models of discipleship, like Sunday school, are taught around an eighth-grade level of learning. This is perfect because that is where most people are starting in terms of their understanding of the Bible or other discipleship topics. But there is rarely a next step or another space for people to transition to in order to challenge them. For instance, I know a couple who have been in the same Sunday school class for almost 40 years. Overall, this class has been a wonderful discipleship space for them. It has helped them love Scripture and their community, and they are walking closer with Christ as a direct result of this class. However, they have never been challenged to take the next step past their Sunday school class. They have stayed at an 8th grade discipleship level for the past 40 years. They never were encouraged to strain forward to something more difficult or challenging. This discipleship model kept them, but it struggled to grow them. This would be the equivalent of a math student staying in an 8th grade math class for 40 years. If the local church is only discipling people at an 8th grade reading level, we will only have 8th grade level disciples. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being at an 8th grade maturity level if you are an 8th grader. It is only wrong when you are still in 8th grade, but should be a teacher by now. The author of Hebrews highlights the importance of sequence when he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. He also later goes on to say, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. 
One of the great tragedies in discipleship is being an infant when you should be an adult, a student when you should be a teacher. These passages are not suggesting that being a student, an infant, or drinking milk is a bad thing, but that staying there is. Disciples eventually are meant to move from milk to meat. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. From student to teacher. From child to adult. All of us are eventually called to leave the foundations of discipleship and press forward into being mature disciples of Christ, all through the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of the local church. The local church needs to have ways to progress people to the next step in their relationship with Christ, from student to teacher, from infant to adult, from milk to meat, just like the scenario I posed earlier about discipling your next pastor. We need to offer them discipleship spaces that do not leave them in the same place for 40 years. We cannot be content with stagnant discipleship. We cannot stunt the growth of our people. So, how can the local church develop next steps for a sequence of deep discipleship? A simple sequence of discipleship looks like this. A discipleship learning space that is for everybody. A discipleship learning space that is for disciple-makers. A discipleship learning space that is for disciple-making movements. These environments share more in common than you might think. They are all active learning environments, and they all share the same scope. Whatever scope of discipleship you decide on, Bible, beliefs, spiritual habits, etc., you will teach it in all of these environments. You do not need to change what a disciple needs. You need to give them more of what they need, but at a different level of maturity. For example, in a discipleship space that is for everybody, you will be teaching the Bible at an 8th grade reading level. But in a discipleship space that is for disciple-makers, you will teach the Bible closer to a high school or undergrad reading level. Then in a discipleship space that is for your best leaders, you should be teaching it closer to a graduate level. What changes is the accessibility level you are training them at, not the type of content itself. The change occurs in the depth of the subject material, not the nature of the subject material. The primary feature that distinguishes these discipleship spaces is the level of accessibility. Each of these spaces is designed to allow everyone in the space to feel stretched. Discipleship for Everybody To go deep, you have to start at the surface. The first part of your discipleship sequence should target everybody. It is essential that your church have a learning space in which everyone is welcome, including non-believers, new believers, and mature believers. These discipleship spaces are based on your scope of discipleship and designed to provide the kind of learning outcomes you want your entire church to have access to. Based on the scope I suggested in the last chapter, you should have learning spaces devoted specifically to helping people grow in Bible, theology, and spiritual formation. In these discipleship spaces, you want to show that the Bible, theology, and spiritual formation are for everyone, not the spiritually elite. If part of your scope is Bible literacy, then you want to offer a Bible study that is taught in such a way that every member can participate. I think the best way to do this is to offer a men's and women's Bible study that is open to everyone in the church and the community as well. 
Most people are intimidated by opening the Bible, so it is essential that the local church has learning spaces dedicated to helping people learn how to read Scripture. I would also encourage you to make these environments multi-generational. I do not think you need to have an adult Bible study and a youth Bible study. You can separate those age groups in their small groups, which is appropriate, but it is so valuable for younger Christians to see adults continuing the learning process and for adults to see younger Christians take the first steps of the learning process. In these environments, you have the opportunity to help Christians learn how to read Scripture for themselves. If you have habit formation as part of your scope of discipleship, then you should have a learning space devoted specifically to helping your people learn how to participate in spiritual disciplines. Theology, church history, missions, apologetics, whatever your scope of discipleship is, offer a space for everyone to learn about what your church believes are the indispensable tools of discipleship in an accessible environment. It is important to note that you are still raising the bar for people in this environment. These spaces are designed to be accessible to everyone, but also stretching for everyone. Just because it is for everybody does not mean it should be easy. Remember, you want to create the right level of dissonance. You do not want it to be so easy that there is no reason for them to come, but you also do not want it to be so hard that they get discouraged. You will find that these discipleship spaces also become great connection points for new people at your church. They provide a mid-size environment that is not as large as your gathering, but also not as small as a community group. Environments like that tend to be far less intimidating for people to enter as they seek to get involved in your church. This is the part of the discipleship sequence where most churches stop. But what you are going to find is that if you start training your people in a conversational faith, they are going to want more. When you start training your people, you are going to see that they are not going to ask, When are we done? They are going to ask, What is next? Over time, you are going to begin to see some people who are excelling in this space. They have been doing it for years. Perhaps they have been leading a group for you, and they are asking for more. You need to have places where they can continue their journey of deep discipleship. The best discipleship spaces do not satisfy our desires. They shape our desires and create a hunger for more. Discipleship for Disciple-Making Disciples The second level of a discipleship sequence should move participants from consumption to contribution. In this space, you are raising the bar higher than you raised it before. Here is where local churches have the opportunity to reclaim the church, not just as a domain of learning, but as a substantive contributor to contemporary theology. You should establish prerequisites or requirements for participating in a discipleship space like this. First, these participants should already be demonstrating a high level of commitment in the previous discipleship environment that is for everybody, because you are going to build on that foundation. Second, they need to be leading somewhere in your church. They may be leading a group of men or women in your Bible study, or they may be leading in your kids' ministry, or they may serve on the parking team. It does not matter where they are leading, but you want to reserve this space for people who are demonstrating a deep desire to learn and who also are demonstrating a deep commitment to serving. 
The hope is that they will take what they learn in this environment to wherever they are serving in your church. Again, one of the most important things you can do is to start to raise the bar for your people. It is impossible to create deep and holistic disciples if you are not raising the bar for them past an elementary learning space. In this discipleship space, you are going to raise the bar past where you raised it before. This is where change and growth happen. This is where more dissonance happens. This is where your people will continue to grow as lifelong learners. Remember, in this space, you are not teaching new topics, but you are teaching at a deeper level. The scope of discipleship remains the same. You are still teaching Bible, theology, and spiritual formation, but you are inviting your students into deeper levels of participation in this space. You are going to see your students begin to move from consumption to contribution. They are going to become conversation partners with you, which shows that they are beginning to own the information for themselves. Here are some examples of how to help your students move from consumption to contribution. If in your space that is designed for everyone, you asked students to have a conversation about doctrine, in this space you are asking them to write doctrinal statements. If in your space that is designed for everyone, you asked them to have a basic understanding of the storyline of the Bible, like creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, in this space you are asking them to tell you the story of the Bible in 20 minutes. In this discipleship space, you want them to make strides past where they ever thought they could go. More people at your church are ready for a discipleship space like this than you know. I am continually surprised by the participants who turn out to be interested in this space. I thought my most eager and best participants would be young men who have been seminary trained or who are interested in going to seminary someday. I was expecting participants in this space to be considering ministry or missions and to be eager for more training for the vocation God is calling them into. While there have certainly been many great participants who fit that profile, that has not been the majority of people who have been interested and who have excelled in spaces like this. We have had tables full of men and women well into their seventies, and we have had more than a dozen high school students. We have had young families and empty nesters. You are going to find, if you start offering spaces like this, that people are desperate to grow. The way forward for deep discipleship is not lowering the bar, it is raising the bar. The most common feedback you will get from participants in these environments is, I have been in the church my whole life, and nobody has told me this. I also thought that spaces like this would be, at best, a 50-50 ratio between male and female. What I have found is that it is actually closer to a 60-40 female-to-male ratio. It made us realize that most discipleship spaces in the local church have an unintentional gender bias. First, this level of training has traditionally been outside of the local church offered in a seminary or Bible college, which usually has more barriers for entry for women than it does for men. So when we opened this space, it was like offering water to a parched traveler. Discipleship that was previously only available outside the church was suddenly available for them in their local church, and they jumped on it. Second, most community-driven discipleship spaces struggle to remove barriers for young families with kids 
making it more challenging for moms to participate. We have seen young moms absolutely thrive in these spaces because they are finally invited into deeper discipleship in the context of their local church. This space also equips them with tools for discipling their kids. Churches need to realize that this level of training has historically not been accessible to them, and the cost of going to seminary is too high a price to pay. As we have reintroduced spaces like this in the local church, women have gravitated to spaces like this and have excelled. For example, one student named Samantha had led a women's Bible study for years at our church and been involved in community groups. She was nervous about stepping into a more challenging environment, but was also eager to learn. Samantha is a mother of five kids and volunteers in a few ministries in the church. Suffice it to say, I shared her nervousness. I did not think she would be able to commit to a discipleship space like this. Given her life circumstances and how many other places she is serving in the church, I never thought she would have the desire to be in an intense discipleship program. I was wrong. Samantha completed the training program in its second year, came back as a table leader for the third year, and has served as our small group director of the training program the past two years. She regularly says, The training program changed my life, and I am never leaving. It is not because we were doing anything novel, but because we were retrieving something recently forgotten, deep discipleship in the local church. Since then, she has started several other ministries based on what she learned in the training program. She started a public reading of scripture group that meets monthly to read entire books of the Bible out loud. She and a few other students also recently started a podcast to discuss what they are learning in the training program from a lay perspective. She moved from consumption to contribution. Do not miss this. When you give people the tools for deep discipleship, they will begin discipling others. This is one of the best pictures of the priesthood of believers I have been able to be a part of, and it happened simply because we did not just want to keep people in the church, but to grow them in the church. In spaces like this, we are showing everyone in the church that they have a seat at the table to do theology. Deep learning is not reserved for the elite, but is available to everyone who is willing to take the step. More people are willing to take the step than you think, but you have to show them that doing theology is not as scary as they think it is. An important feature in a discipleship space like this is the virtue of charity we already discussed. If a student asks the teacher a question that the teacher does not know, the teacher should say, I do not know, but let's find out together. I cannot tell you how freeing it is for students to realize that even pastors and teachers are still on the journey of deep discipleship. These students will be empowered not just to learn, but to make disciples, and the culture of discipleship at your church will be transformed. Discipleship for Disciple-Making Movement-Leading Disciples one of the biggest misses is that our most committed disciples in the local church, those who want to lead churches and ministries, usually have to look outside the local church to learn how. Disciples should never have to leave the church in order to lead in the church. In this capstone space, you are focused on making disciples who can lead the church or other kingdom-oriented organizations. 
These are your top-level leaders who have already excelled in your other discipleship spaces and have demonstrated a growing and increasing Christian maturity. This space is fairly exclusive because it is only available to people who have completed your previous learning environments, and it is by invitation only. Ultimately, this is where the local church is training elders, deacons, and other mature disciples. When did it become acceptable to the church to have its best leaders trained outside of the church? Are you training your next group of elders, deacons, and other mature believers, or are they being formed outside the church? In residency-style programs, the church has the opportunity to recover discipleship spaces for the men and women who are going to be the next generation of leaders in the local church. A lot of churches have developed discipleship spaces like residencies for church planting or church revitalization, which I highly commend. Usually these discipleship spaces invite people from outside the church to apply to and move to the church for a season, usually a year or two, to be trained and sent out. Discipleship spaces like this are valuable and useful, but that is not what I am talking about. The church's first responsibility is not to have environments that invite people from outside the local church to be trained, but to train its own people. In other words, if your residency program is full of people who moved from another church and not people from your own church, I suggest there is a large gap in your discipleship sequence. It is possible that you are funding discipleship but not actually making disciples of your own members. Why are people from your church not filling up the residency program? If you are committed to the previous discipleship spaces, then you will have people who are prepared for this kind of discipleship sequence. Our most intentional discipleship spaces in the local church, where we are committed to the highest level of investment and the highest level of excellence, should first be dedicated to the leaders in our church, not outside of it. If you are dependent on people applying from outside of your church for a residency program, I suggest investing in other discipleship spaces first until you have the kinds of participants in your church who are prepared for this kind of environment. We have found it helpful to develop two tracks in our residency program. One track is dedicated to ministry leaders, the other to marketplace leaders. The discipleship culture of your church will never exceed the discipleship maturity of its leaders. If you do not have mature disciples, it is because you have not trained them. You need to have a discipleship space committed specifically to helping your future ministry leaders, elders and deacons, work toward biblical qualifications of those offices. We cannot rely on outside organizations to make leaders for the church. The church should own the primary weight of developing its own elders and deacons. Again, the scope of what you are giving to ministry leaders is still Bible, beliefs, and spiritual formation, but they are engaging at the level of what you would expect of a ministry leader. This is where you can develop preachers, teachers, shepherds, and servants who are growing in maturity. I would also suggest having a parallel discipleship space for your marketplace leaders. One mistake that is often made is that the church thinks it is supposed to be in the business of leadership development. I understand this instinct, and leadership is certainly an important qualification for men and women you are leading in the marketplace. However, the primary function of the church is not to create leaders, but disciples.
In a marketplace residency, you have the opportunity to invest in men and women who are already leading in the marketplace and help them to have a distinctly Christian impact in their sphere of influence. CEOs, teachers, doctors, and businessmen and women in your church want you to help them think through how the Bible, beliefs, and spiritual habits uniquely impact their vocation. One of the goals in an environment like this is helping people move from reception to articulation. You are not just giving them information. They are contributing in meaningful ways to the conversation. You do not truly know something until you can articulate it. What if you had an environment that was dedicated to your most committed people, and you were investing so heavily in them that they became so familiar with Scripture, Christian beliefs, and spiritual habits that they naturally began helping others take steps of growth and maturity? Deep discipleship culture is not dependent on a church staff. It is dependent on a well-trained congregation. Churches should not just be asking the question, how do we keep disciples? We should be asking the better question, how do we grow disciples? Philosophies of ministry that only have the highest stated value of community are focused on keeping disciples. Philosophies of ministry that have the highest stated value of learning, like Sunday school, but do not have a sequence of discipleship, are also too focused on keeping disciples. But. If we implement a philosophy of ministry that values learning environments in the context of community and also allow disciples to take next steps through a sequence of learning, we will make maturing disciples of Christ. Scope Bible, Beliefs, Habits Core Classes and Bible Studies Discipleship for Everybody Discipleship Program Discipleship for Disciple-Making Disciples and Residency, Discipleship for Disciple-Making Movement Disciples. Main Ideas 1. Knowing how to raise the bar, whom to raise the bar for, and when to raise the bar are essential elements of deep discipleship in the local church. 2. You do not want maturing believers to have to stay in shallow waters when they are ready to go deeper. And you do not want to overwhelm baby believers in deeper waters when they need to slowly wade into deep discipleship. 3. If the local church is not calling people to press forward, to grow, to strain ahead, we will lose them. One of the paradigm shifts we need in ministry is the shift from asking the question, how do we keep disciples in the church, to the better question, how do disciples grow in the church? Questions for Discussion 1. Are you naturally wired to think the Holy Spirit will use a sequence of discipleship to sanctify Christians, or to think a sequence will be a hindrance to the Holy Spirit's work? What personality traits or past experiences have wired you this way? 2. Why is it important to remember that when you move deeper into discipleship, you're not moving on to different content, but moving into the same content, namely God and His Gospel? 3. Is your church currently providing opportunities for people to go deeper in discipleship, or has it been too focused on merely maintaining members? To-do List 1. Now that you listed your essential discipleship categories, scope, in the last chapter,
Start brainstorming what different levels, sequence of each category might look like. What needs to be offered in each category for the skeptic, the new believer, the child, the teenager, the 70-year-old saint, the seminary graduate? 2. Develop a plan for communicating to your congregation this intentional move of developing a discipleship sequence. How can you explain to them that the Holy Spirit will use an intentional structure to sanctify people? How can you communicate the notion of a discipleship sequence without appearing to create a discipleship hierarchy? 3. Pray together that God would bless your attempts to create an intentional scope and sequence of discipleship in the local church. Ask the Spirit to use your efforts to sanctify His people. Ask God if there's anything you're missing, if there are any adjustments you need to make to the rough draft of a scope and sequence you've created.